0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at FullSneakGear.com. Also, be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at Sportsman'sEmpire.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Aaron Olson. Now, we connected quite a while ago. And even since recording this podcast, I've already been sending him trail camera pictures of all the bucks that I've had on camera here in Missouri. And I really hope that he and I can connect this year and either do an Ohio hunt, a Missouri hunt, maybe even both. He can show me around his place up there. I can show him around my place and hopefully we can add to each other's success, not only from hunting properties, but also just sharing information and different techniques that one another use in order to be successful. That's what this podcast is all about, about Aaron's progression in the outdoor space, how he's becoming a better hunter year after year, acquiring new properties, things like that. So, let's jump into today's episode with Aaron. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. Now, Aaron Olson is on with me, and we're going to try this again. We tried like two weeks ago to record, and my Wi-Fi was so bad, he was like, I've got something to do after this. I don't know if I have time to restart. I was in the same boat, but... We've been chatting for a little bit already about hunting season, about trail cameras, and uh I'm pretty excited for this call. So thanks for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Why Why don't you start out by telling listeners a little bit about yourself, um, like where you're from, kind of your hunting history and, and what you do in the outdoor space?
1: Yeah, right on.
0: So I'm currently
1: living in north central Ohio. Um, I'm originally from northern Michigan and um, I ended up playing college basketball in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is like the Southern part of Michigan, um, grew, grew up as far as hunting goes in big woods, low deer density, and really struggled. Uh, I, I think where a lot of people have a lot of success early on in their hunting career, and that's what kind of keeps them going and excited about continuing to pursue hunting. I had the opposite where I I didn't even see a single deer my entire first season. So the, the area where my family property is, there was a huge tuberculosis outbreak. I don't, I couldn't even tell you 20 years ago, maybe. And the DNR had annihilated the, what was already a low deer density, but they basically killed off the deer herd. And I still stuck with it for whatever reason. Uh, (laughs) I just like sitting up in the trees and watching squirrels, I suppose. Uh, but I think that's ultimately what's what's driven me to want to succeed because it was hard and it's still, I mean, hunting is hard no matter where you're at. Uh, but anyways, you know, grew up, got a little bit older and and played college basketball. And that took up a lot of time as a young adult. And and once I got out of college, that's when I got really serious about hunting. And um, I, I still hunted up in Northern Michigan, eventually was, was questioning why I was leaving, what was probably the best areas within Michigan to drive four hours to a place where it's not so ideal. And I got real into mobile hunting and scouting the public land and hunting public and and really dove into that. And that's just evolved to where we're at today. And and somewhere along the line, I launched a a YouTube channel to kind of document my progression as a deer hunter, just share the lessons that I was learning along the way in hopes to help shorten the learning curve for anyone that cared to watch. Um, And it's, Garnered enough, you know, I'm humbled that enough people are are tuning into my channel now to now that's my my full-time gig here And I quit my my nine-to-five corporate job last year and you know, basically hunting full-time now Which is which is awesome, you know, it's not as sexy as it probably sounds I still spend a lot of time sitting (laughs) at a computer editing But I it it does give me a lot of freedom to be able to be in the woods a lot of the a lot of the time
0: yeah, dude, how I mean, how has that been because I was in the same boat. I mean, I didn't have a corporate job, but I was working manual labor and did that basically my whole life. I'm used to working with my hands. And then switching over to podcasting and social media, I have people all the time, they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You've got a podcast and social channels. Like, what do you do for work? And I'm (laughs) like, no, that is. It's like a little bit demeaning because people look at you like, is that actually a job? Like you can actually do that full time. Have you, have you had people, uh, talk about it like that with you? Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, same thing. Oh, so what
1: do you do? Oh, you have a YouTube channel. What do you do for work? Like, <laughs> no, this is it now. And you know, there's, it, it's, in a way it's uncharted territory and and I can't blame people for asking or coming across that way because there is no, laid out plan that's like, you know, you go start a YouTube channel and all of a sudden you make X amount of dollars. There's a lot of, as I'm sure you know, there's a lot of hustle behind the scenes and the entrepreneurial side of things and trying to create value and provide that to companies in exchange for money. And uh, there's a lot of ways to go about it. So yeah, a lot of, you know, the the question I get a lot is like, so how do you actually make money? And (laughs) there's obviously a lot of, maybe not obviously, but there's a lot of buckets. There's a lot of different you know, levers that you can pull and, uh, people are, I don't know, interested or people are, are, I think once I explain it to them and, you know, they're, they're like, wow, it's actually pretty cool. And, but I, I think for most people, it's not even something that crosses their mind as, as, you know, something that's an a actual career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really do have to multitask a lot and there are so many buckets being filled or filled. You're juggling like, I think the last time my wife and I counted, it was like 17 different ways that we're making money off of social media and podcasting. And I'm like, it's not easy. And my buddies even will be like, oh, I'd like to just sit and make TikToks with my wife for a living. And I'm like, there is so (laughs) much more to that, like studying algorithms, knowing what time of day to post, knowing your audience, what trended well, why did it trend well? Why did people like this episode versus that episode? And it it is a full-time job. And I mean, if you schedule it right, you get to go out and hunt as much as you want, you know? But yep. but that's where people kind of get the impression that all you do is hunt. You just turn the camera on and that's it. And it's like, no, there's so much more to it than that.
1: Yeah, and I think there is there is a bucket of people out there in the hunting industry or hunting world that they they these people work another job but they go out there and produce high quality content but maybe don't quite understand the marketing or how to package things up and sell it to a company or you know the the business side of things and they produce really nice content but it doesn't really go anywhere from a business standpoint and there's a pretty steep learning curve at least like for me you know i didn't have anyone holding my hand telling me hey this is what you should be doing or hey try this and this is how you should approach people about what you do Um, but I think, yeah, there's a there's a ton that goes into a man and I'm, I'm learning every day. So it's been, it's been fun
0: for sure. I think there's a lot of value though, to learning it as you go and like seeing failure and overcoming that and continuing to educate yourself on how to do this because that was us, you know, like we had no idea. I didn't have social media. I I think I had my space when i was in high school and then i got <laughs> facebook back then you couldn't even get a facebook account till you were 18 when it first came out and then and then from there i didn't really do anything all my buddies were like oh do you have snapchat instagram tiktok all these things and i'm like no like why would i have 15 different social media channels or platforms and it was when my wife finally was like hey you need if you really want to push this podcast you need to do something with social media and use that to kind of accelerate it and i was like i'm not doing TikTok. that's where little girls go on and dance and their parents are probably upset with them for doing it i'm gonna be a creepy 30 something year old dude like i'm not getting on the platform and she ended up making them for me and did it without me knowing and like started posting stuff about me quitting my job and pursuing podcasting and that's really when it took off and then together we learned a lot it was Hours. I mean, instead of scrolling when I was on the toilet, I was responding to every comment on every video for months and months. I did that. And the hustle and the grind is really what got us to where we are now. And it never stops. Like, as soon as you quit making good content, you're actually losing followers. People think followers come and they stay. And that's just not true. People unsubscribe all the time. And if you're not making stuff that they like why waste their space or why waste space on their feed? So yeah,
1: that's hilarious responding on the toilet. I I do that. And I'm just sitting there laughing in my head. Like if these people only knew that I was sitting on a John (laughs) responding to them,
0: (laughs) it's funny people. It's like, it's like people don't think you poop because you're famous, you know, or like they think (laughs) that you don't have problems because you're famous. I got a, I got approached by a lady at church one day and she came up to me and she's like, at that time, we had a Chime commercial out, and it's a it's an online banking platform. And she came up to me, and she's like, I don't want this to be weird. And I'm like, well, that's a bad start. It's already weird now. Uh, and she goes, are you the Chime guy? And I just kind of laughed, and I was like, yeah. And she's like, no, but for real, are you? And I was like, y- yeah. Like I, I've got a commercial. I'm not the, I'm not like flow from Progressive, but for Chime, um, I'm like <laughs> I just have a commercial with them, and she like waves her friend over, like it's him, it's him, and I'm like, listen guys, I'm nobody. I went out this morning and fed and watered pigs and like collected chicken eggs and like I drive a a 1991 Camry. I'm nobody. Don't act like I'm some big name dude. Um, but yeah. for whatever reason, you know, you have. You have a little bit of influence online and people think you're, you've are you got it all together. Or you hunt giant bucks all the time. I'm like, I have bad seasons too. I miss deer. Uh, I, I don't position myself right when they come in and have close encounters with no shot opportunity. Like Just because I do this for a living doesn't mean I'm perfect or that I get it right all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. The only difference now is I I have enough time where even while I screw it up, ninety percent of the time I generally can get it right once or twice over the course of a season. Yeah, but yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Like I'm, I think it's all part of the fun. Like I I screw up and you know try to learn from it. But yeah, man, it's uh, it yeah. When you start getting recognized here and there, like it's it's definitely interesting being out there, but. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm a nobody, I'm just somebody who's, you know, posting stuff online and hunting and trying to add value. But yeah, I just see myself as an, I mean, I'm not that I see myself, I am just a normal dude, just yeah. like anybody else listening to this. I just happen to post my stuff online.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool, man, to stay humble like that. I mean, I've seen it get to other people's heads that I follow or that I encounter at uh, at a trade show. And I'm like, Ooh, like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be nope. that guy who's just like, doesn't give you the time of day, doesn't talk. I love when people come up to us. I don't do, I don't love it in like a, hey, I got recognized. But when people come up and actually approach you like a person, and then you learn their name and you find out where they're from and you just talk and share hunting stories. I think my wife hates it when she's at trade shows with me because I will spend an hour talking to that one person and I'm like, dude, so where do you hunt? Oh, you're not that far. We should totally get together and hunt. Like, what all do you hunt? You want to go squirrel hunting, duck hunting, deer hunting? I don't care. And she's just like, oh, my gosh, what if all of these people take you up on it? And I'm like, they never do. (laughs) They really don't. They never do. Um, But it would be fun. Like, I love hunting with new people. So bring it on.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just at the Great American Outdoor Show in Pennsylvania and had a blast. You know, everyone's showing pictures of the deer that they shot or trail cam pictures. And it's, it's funny, like, wh- wherever you are, you know, you find out somebody else hunts. It's like, it just happens subconsciously with no words exchange. It's like, oh, you hunt, I hunt, both both guys reach <laughs> into their pocket, start pulling up their phone, They're like, here's a buck I killed, check out this trail cam buck, and it's just, like, natural. Like, it happens, doesn't matter how old the person is, it happens every time, I swear.
0: Yeah, dude, I I love that moment because you just know, you're going to hear the stories. You're going to see the deer. And I get pumped for people. Like I'm not a snooty guy at all. You can shoot, you can shoot a 40 inch buck or a 180 inch buck. And if you're passionate about it, I'm happy for you. You know, yep. I, we were at a uh, bow fest in Northern Wisconsin last year. It's like, it's kind of like a, uh tack event, but they've got like live music every single night. It's a really cool setup. And I did a giveaway with some Vortex binos, and I had uh, three bucks up on the wall, a Euro and two shoulder mounts. And it was so funny because I could tell the guys who were super into themselves are like, oh, I only shoot big bucks. I had a couple guys just to my face be like, dude, that one could have gone at least a couple more years. And I'm thinking like, I don't really care what you think. I'm happy about these deer. And that's why they're up on the wall behind me. No, I haven't shot 180 inch deer and I hope to one day, but yeah. if it comes in and I'm pumped about it, like I'm pulling the trigger or hitting the release and 100%. you guys can, you guys can take your big bucks and go somewhere else with it for all I care. Yeah. I'm right
1: there with you. Like there's a lot of little buck shaming that happens and like, especially coming from Michigan, it's like, a, it's a huge hot topic because it's a two buck state, you know, there's I don't know. There's, it's a whole can of worms and I'm not going to open it, but <laughs> it, it seems like there's potential for a lot of good deer and there's not as many good deer as most people want, but you got, you know, the camp of people that are like, it's my tag. I'm going to kill what I want. And then you have the other camp that wants increased regulations to further age structure and and antlers and whatnot. But like growing up there, like I got like this bucks like hundred inches, this bucks like, not very big either. And they were like my first couple of bow bucks. And like my buddy asked me if I was getting them shoulder-mounted and I was like, is that even a real question? (laughs) Heck yeah, I'm getting them shoulder-mounted. Those things are huge. (laughs) And now I look at them, like, I got, like, I got the Ohio walls, the wall that you can't see. And the Ohio wall is a lot more impressive than the Michigan walls here. So (laughs) it's, uh, yeah, it's just, everything's relative and everything like, you know, I, I got friends that still shoot year and a half old bucks and they're just genuinely so excited. And it's like, all right, I can't be upset that this kid's shooting, you know, a small six point. If he's, he's jacked out, he's as jacked shooting that as I am shooting 140 inch buck. Like who am I to judge? Yeah. So I still judge him a little bit, but.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. I, I think everybody's got that. Like if you don't do it my way, there's some judgment, but it's, it's the difference between having that internally and just voicing it to everybody. Even the, like I give my buddies a hard time. All day long. My brother, all day long. It doesn't matter what he shoots. It could be the biggest buck I've ever seen. (laughs) And I'm going to be like, really, dude? You're not going to give it another year? Oh, you're just out here trophy hunting? You know, like I'll find a way to give him a hard time about it. But it's when you do it to strangers. And it's like online. That doesn't help anybody out. And I intentionally post some videos where people are just like, it's my tag, man. I can shoot whatever I want. And they're like tagging Okayest hunter, and I'm like, dude, go for it, man. I love him. Uh, but I'm like, you guys just have to realize this is satire. Like, you gotta, you gotta just do what you want. If you're excited about it, go and shoot a spike, go and shoot a fork. If the only thing that excites you is 170 inch plus, go after that and be super pumped about it. But it's for whatever reason, people feel like they need to have that out outside affirmation that like i'm doing it right even though you're never going to get everybody on board all right how many of you guys hate dealing with tangled up rope trying to untie it it's all knotted up and you actually really need it at the time don't raise your hands because i obviously can't see you but those days are long gone Rapid Rope is a quick deploy rope solution that you can pull the length you need and cut it all with one hand. You don't need knives or scissors or a lighter to singe the end because it's cross-threaded to keep it from frame. Yeah, they've thought of everything. And this is way stronger than your average 550 cord. In fact, this is 1,100-pound test. It comes in a shatterproof canister that you can fit in the cup holder in your vehicle or your backpack or... I don't know if you still wear cargo pants, any one of the thousand pockets that you have. It comes in a 120 foot canister, a 70 foot canister, and you can get a rope refill. So just in a matter of seconds, you could be deploying and cutting rope with one hand again. So if you want to stop dealing with the headache of untying rope and detangling everything, anytime you need to tie something down, go check out rapidrope.com and use code nomadic for 10% off at checkout. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, you've probably heard me talking about Infinite Outdoors in the past. Infinite Outdoors is expanding access for hunting and fishing on private land across the country. From whitetail hunts in Missouri to waterfowl hunts in Wyoming and pheasant hunts in Colorado, they provide access to over a million acres of private land listings for all types of hunting and fishing. Best part is, it's incredibly easy to browse and book properties all on the Infinite Outdoors app. The app is free to download and easy to use. All you have to do is sign up and you can browse over 250 different adventures across 10 states. Download the app today and use nomadic 15 for 15% off your membership.
1: And I, yeah, And, and I'm the type of guy, like, I mean, my, my whole channel is built around progression and getting better and improving. And that's something that I'm passionate about, not only in hunting, but just life in general is just like improving and increasing whatever it is that you're trying to do. But I think the other super toxic thing that goes on in the in the hunting world is like the jealousy and envy you got a bunch of like alpha males trying to you know have a big dick contest and and you know like so if somebody shoots a big buck they're like secretly jealous and envious and they're not actually pumped for the person and i think that's super toxic and you know, there was a couple, there was a guy like I grew up hunting with that was kind of like that. Like he, you could tell he was just, he was not actually genuinely excited that you shot a buck or a good buck. Um And I, like I said in the beginning, my, my progression as a deer hunter was not like a lot of people's. Like it, I really struggled. Like I didn't shoot, I, I did the math the other day, but. I can't remember exactly how I didn't shoot my first buck until I was like 26 or 27. And again, part of that was college basketball, but I bow hunted since I was 12. So there was a lot of years in there that I was not playing basketball that I did not shoot a buck. And, you know, I've been on a pretty good tear now, but through those years, I felt like my skill level exceeded a lot of people around me that were having more success than me. So there was like admittedly some jealousy when they shot a buck. It's like, man, how are they doing this? How are they achieving these things that I think I'm capable of doing, but I, I've yet to do it. And it's transitioned big time for me now, instead of like seeing somebody else having success. And this isn't just for deer hunting. This is just life in general. It could be looking at another hunting YouTube channel. And instead of being jealous that they're in the position that they're in, like I see somebody's accomplishments or somebody's level of success as uh like kind of like okay it's possible it's like a token of possibility that okay if this person can do it I I can definitely do it if they achieve this goal I can achieve that goal as well it's not something that's you know pie in the sky like never going to be achieved like if somebody can do it I'm also capable of doing it if I work hard enough long enough like it'll happen and um that's that's the mindset that's been the biggest shift for me, for me. And instead of, again, being envious of people, now I can look to people that have had high levels of success and try to figure out whether I reach out to them directly or, or what, whatnot. Just try to model their their actions that led to that success, and that's been awesome. Yeah, Really 360 or 180 as far as
0: results have went. Dude, we need we need a lot more people like that where we're celebrating little victories and milestones for people. Like, when I see I, – I have people that reach out about being on the podcast, and they're like, oh, I don't have – like, I don't have a very big YouTube channel. And I go and I look, and I'm like, dude, you got 100 subscribers. Like, good for you, man. Like, you've put 20 videos out there. You know how much work that is? Like, that's that's not a small thing. There's a lot of people who haven't even started a YouTube channel or figured out if their name that they want is taken or, or not, you know? <laughs> like – there's there's a lot that goes into it, and just the fact that you started is is huge for me. Like in my eyes, like dude, you're serious about this. I'd love to have you on, and people are kind of blown away. Like I'm not I'm not like Steve Rinella. I'm like no, there's only one of him. <laughs> you know, like yep. I'm not I'm not Jim Shockey, or I'm not Michael Waddell. And it's like I don't want all those people on. It'd be fun to have them on, but I like to hear. The stories of everyday people that my listeners that i that everybody else can relate to because we don't all have twenty thousand acre ranches that we can hunt we don't all have connections in every state like there's a lot of people out there that have to go out and grind and figure it out and if you can help them do that hop on let's talk yeah man that's i'm still waiting to to I feel like in all my years
1: of hunting, I've still yet to hunt like a really good piece of property.
0: Yeah. And and I know there's
1: a lot of people out there that have killed a lot of great bucks be- and not to say they're not good hunters, but part of it's just like happenstance that they, their parents had, you know, 250 acres of prime ground. And like the, those big bucks just exist out there. And man, like I scratch and claw, like for every single opportunity and every single piece of access I've ever had. And like, I've again, like yet to ever hunt what I would consider just like a really, really good property, but I sure hope one day I can, because (laughs) it would be fun to, to experience. Like my, my whole thing is like, I just, I kind of refuse to, to settle or compromise. Like I want to experience hunting at the highest level. So you know obviously there's a lot of good hunting to be had on public land all over the country and um like my goal eventually is to buy however you know hopefully a lot of land but you know who knows land prices by then maybe a little bit of land Um, but I, I just I really I, I'm kind of an opportunistic hunter like I, I like it all I like public land scouting but I also like private land habitat management food plots and all everything in between um, but I would love to to have some ground that I can kind of control and manage and and really dive into that on a on a larger scale than I have now cuz I think that would be super fun.
0: Dude, that would be to just have a chunk where it's untouched from other people and you have full say in what happens on it. That I think that's yep. probably the only time that I really get jealous of other people is when they're like, "Oh yeah, my family like oh yeah, my family's got like 400 acres" and I'm like <sighs> I wish my family had 20 acres, you know, like we just didn't grow up. We hunted other people's land all the time. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we're hunting Trempeleau County, Wisconsin. It's a phenomenal County as far as deer production numbers, age, class size, like everything is great there, but it's always been somebody else's land. And it wasn't until this year when I bought my own 25 acres here that I was like, I can finally hunt my land. Of course, I didn't kill a deer on it this year, and I'm so bummed. (laughs) And I had a 160, maybe 170 inch buck show up. Obviously, it happens right when you leave to go out of state somewhere. The morning, every time, the morning I left for Colorado for elk hunting, he shows up, never seen this buck before. And then he proceeds to spend three days on my property while I'm in Colorado, and just a giant, like an absolute giant 10 point in midday, afternoon, early morning, he was there the whole time. And uh but yeah, to for me, I was like, man, I've got I I've got a really good chance of success of hunting a different private chunk I don't own it, but I've got sole permission on it. I think I could go there tonight and get a buck down. But I really want to hunt a deer on my like I want to shoot a deer on my property. Yeah, that'd be super cool. And I went out, that was the final day of season, got a shot on a doe, just it, it just didn't end well, still don't know what went wrong, but tracked it and tracked it and tracked it. And of course, while I'm tracking it, I get a trail cam notification that my number one target buck is on that property right where I was going to sit had I not hunted mine. So it was, it was a pretty rough ending to my season, but lessons learned, you know, like you got to go. It, for me it was more important to get a deer on my property than it was to even take my target buck and so that's why i went out and i stand by my decision still it's a little bit a little bit salty about it but that's all right
1: yeah i i'm in the same boat though as far as having your your target buck showing up in daylight as soon as you leave like i i tend to, i, I typically do like an early season hunt like somewhere that opens up early September. So I've, you know, a lot of the Western states open up early and then I try to do a rut trip and then, you know, in between those times and after those times, I'm hunting like my local states. Um, so like this, this past year I had this, I drew Iowa. So I was going to Iowa. I think I left Halloween and left and for November 1st through 7th, I had on my i got five acres behind my house and i got a a sick food plot and it's not a lot of land but it's just like the right piece of land yeah and i just had this perfect typical like 160 inch 10 point every single day in daylight the whole time i was out there in iowa and i was out there on public land in iowa and had some good (laughs) hunts but like really was struggling to get on like bucks of that caliber and uh it's like, man, if I would have just stayed home and the same thing happened the year before I was out in Kansas and I had these giant bucks daylighting like right around my house. So this next, you know, this season, um, we'll see if if it's, it gets more complicated when you start hunting with other people and you know, whether it's my dad or or now like incorporating a cameraman into things Yeah. like, you know, you have to kind of set dates in advance and playing around that. So, uh, I, as of right now, I would love to be home in Ohio that first week of November, because like you said, like as soon as you leave, that's when all the action's happening. And if I just stay there, maybe I'd I'd probably have more success if I just stay in my own backyard for, (laughs) you know, the the best time, not my literal backyard, but kind of, Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'll probably end up leaving again. But my hope is that all the work through the entire year and the off season, my hope would be that I'd be able to, tag out before you know the best time
0: of the year here and yeah. spend the rut elsewhere but it doesn't seem to happen that way see i th- I feel like here my best time is early early season i have a ton of daylight activity i saw i had so many encounters this year with big bucks during the day and it just wasn't quite close enough like for whatever reason this year they changed their pattern of where they walk and i watched so many cross the field instead of going north south they were going east west and in 10 years of hunting this property i hadn't seen that like aside from one deer getting bumped out of the woods and so i was like man this is really odd but come october they might daylight once or twice and then that first week of november there's probably one opportunity at each buck that i could get if i'm here but i haven't hunted the first week of november now in man, probably five years because it falls right when Colorado elk camp happens. And everyone's like, I can't believe, man. I can't believe you're leaving. I can't believe you're, I'm like, dude, trust me. I know exactly what's going to happen is they're going to show up today. I'm, I'm driving through Kansas and they're probably standing in front of my tree stand, but I'm going to test it. I think one of these years, And plan to go out to Colorado, cancel the trip last minute and go up in the sand and see if they still show up. (laughs) Yeah, I,
1: for the kind of that reason, I, I haven't dove into elk yet. I would love to. And I just, I'm afraid to dive into something and get, I I know I'm going to love it and be consumed by it. And I really, if I plan to do it ever, I know I should do it soon because you're only able bodied for so long and you can white tail hunt, you know, you could wheelchair out to your Oh yeah, box blind and rifle hunt till your or you know bow hunt forever. But I'm just, I really, really want to get good at one thing and specialize in white tails before I start to branch out. But now that I'm starting to see a little bit more success in the white tail world, I, I might start incorporating like an early September elk hunt or a mule deer hunt or something like that. But I don't, know, I'm so ate up with white tails. It's it's hard for me to do anything else right now.
0: Yeah. I, I would recommend if you get into it, dude, jump right into archery because I jumped in first to rifle hunting elk. I thought, okay, I'm going to go out there and at least like observe these animals and see what they do. Because to go out there with a bow for your first year and have success, although it happened. In fact, my buddy Austin shot one this year, first time ever archery hunting Colorado, and he got a bull. Wow. Um, but it it's very rare for that to happen. In fact, the game warden that that stopped him and talked to him was like, hold on, wait, what opening day, this is your first time ever. And he's like, yeah, he's like, dude, congrats, man. I don't come across this ever. Um, but because I got so comfortable with rifle hunting and I love it and I do want to get better and like pursue bigger elk and go farther back in, it's limited me because I can't get a bull tag with my bow and my rifle and it's like one or the other and so now i've had offers to come out and learn how to archery elk hunt and i'm like dude i just love rifle elk hunting i mean really it's because of the camp if they like completely split up camp and nobody hunted together anymore i'd go straight to archery but i love the camaraderie of our elk camp it's something that i'm going to continue to do every single year but it's just so tough man because i do want to i want to go out to colorado with my bow and yeah. especially when you find success yeah. doing it one way it's tough you know it's like i could i think i could go back out and do it again i could go back out and do it again and now it's like i've three i've killed 3 bulls out there with my rifle and that's awesome it's hard for me to then be like hey you know what let me let me take myself out at the knees and now switch over to archery so i think once i switch over to archery it's going to be a different state yeah would it be an or or an and? Would you just add in an archery hunt to your current lineup? Oh, I would add it in for sure. Yeah. yeah I've got one spot in Utah that I'm really interested in. I've been putting in points there. Um, I'm going to be putting in points in a lot of different places for for the years to come. In fact, Missouri now has an elk season. I've been building points here. Yeah. Um, I've been putting in for Kentucky and Pennsylvania, places that most people aren't looking at. You know, they want the big mountains. They want the scenery. They want the whole thing. Um, And then obviously a bunch of Western states. So I'm going to add it in for sure. I just have a fear that I'm going to completely abandon rifle once I find success once with a bow.
1: Well, there's only one way to find out, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, ho- hopefully you go and you kill one with a bow. I can't imagine killing an animal that big with archery equipment. And that'd be, I mean, it's definitely a bucket list hunt. And I know it's not, it's not so far out there that's unattainable. I know a lot of people go out there and kill them with a bow every year. So again, like I'll, I'll make the jump eventually, maybe next year. I just yeah. gotta, just gotta do it. But dude, it's yeah, fun, man. I, I think-
0: You'll enjoy it for sure.
1: Yeah. As far as like what you're saying, like, it's not just the elk hunting, it's the the camp experience. That's super important. Like I do, most of the stuff that I do is all by myself just because mm-hmm. it's hard to find other people that are on the same schedule as myself. And you know, my other friends that do hunt seriously, like they all have their preferences on what states they want to be in at what points in the season. So we kind of differ in hunting styles. Uh so the few times that I do get to share a camp with a group of guys that are, you know, hardcore hunters and sit there in DS and talk about hunting and life and everything else. Like I, I really cherish that, that yeah. opportunity. And it's something that I definitely intend to do more of move, moving forward, but it's, it's tough to find like the right group of guys. And, and again, like, I, like what we were talking about earlier, like the, the toxic traits of some people, like you got to have a good deer camp where everybody's on the same page and everybody's rooting for you. And, um, I was out in North Dakota in September this last year with, um, the guys from whitetail DNA. And there's a couple other, uh, guys out there. And like one, we basically like, we all had a bunch of cameras and we were all like sharing Intel and, you know, trying to put each other on bucks and help each other out. And, you know, here's what I observed. I think somebody else needs to come around and approach it from this way. And one of us will get a crack at these bucks. And it was just a really cool experience where like everybody was fully transparent and trying to basically just trying to help everybody else kill deer, because it's not always like that. A lot of people keep their heart, their cards to their chest and, you know, don't want to, you know, you, it's like, you go, you meet somebody at the public land parking lot or the trailhead and you see anything. Oh, just, you know, a couple, couple little ones, or, you know, you, yeah. you always kind of embellish what you truly saw. Cause you don't want to say, Oh yeah, I saw a slammer back there and they were chasing <laughs> all over. And it was just tore up with rubs. Like, you're not going to tell somebody that, but when you get with the right group of guys that you're all invested in each other's success, that's pretty special. And like, that's, I, I want to start creating that. And I do think it's something that you kind of have to, I don't know, you have to be intentional about trying to get, get certain people together. And I don't know, I, I, feel strongly about doing more of that moving forward because I've that's been lacking for my hunting experience for the last probably better part of a decade
0: yeah yeah man when you get when you get like-minded people out there or even you might differ on some things but like you can you can show them like this is what I do and this is why I do it this way and I learn things all the time from people that I hunt with and uh, especially that XOP hunt up in Wisconsin this year man I went into it not thinking like I'm the world's best hunter, but I'm like, I know how to hunt. Like I, I get it done most of the time. And I get up there and I start talking to people who are like serious, serious, big buck killers, like killing a dozen plus public land bucks, like good bucks a year. And I'm like, dude, I know nothing. Teach me your ways. Like, I want to know everything that you know. And, uh, especially when you find guys that are open to sharing this stuff. And it's like, They can share techniques. You know, I didn't get any pin drops of like, hey, you should go and sit right here. You know, you should come to Ohio or go down to Iowa. I'm not getting destination information. But as far as like strategy, hey, this is how I do it. This is how I found success. And there's a thousand ways to find success. But it's like when you can figure when you can pull pieces from other people and then kind of mold that into what makes sense for you and how to how to make it happen. I, I mean, I've used techniques now that I learned in Wisconsin last year for the first time and I've, I've used them down here and had encounters with deer because of it. So you definitely, yeah, you definitely need to come down to Missouri and hunt and I'll learn from you. I may be able to teach you something. You might know everything I already know, but like, it's a fun, it really <laughs> is a no fun fool. hunt. <laughs> it, dude, it's a crazy hunt down here And. It's tough because I talk about it on the podcast and I kind of don't want to um just because more people are going to be looking into where I hunt or like this area. But yeah. when I first moved here, I had a guy at work. I was talking to him and I was like, "Yeah, we moved out to this property. I'm going to go deer hunt it." And I'm like, "Hope hopefully I can get a big buck this year." And he looked at me dead in the eyes and he's like, "Dude, hopefully you see a deer this year." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, I go I go years without seeing deer sometimes and I'm like, Oh gosh, why did I move to Missouri? Like, this is stupid. I don't want to, I don't want to sit there with twiddling my thumbs all season. And I think for one year I saw a doe at like 300 yards. And after that I was like, I'm going to figure this property out. It was my first time hunting it and I figured it out and I've had success almost every year since then. And I've seen bucks. We talked about it before I hit record I pulled all my cards the other day with my kids. I've got nine shooter bucks that I've got folders full of pictures um, from these deer all throughout season. Some of them, you know, I might have a half a dozen pictures. There's a couple bucks. I've got probably three or four hundred pictures of them. And on top of that, I've probably got 20 to 30 unnamed bucks that are just, you know, spikes, forks, six points, small eights, where it's like I'm going to see – what they develop into and then i like to let them i like to let them get a little older before i give them a name and some of the yeah. names i give them are so stupid man like i don't even remember half of them until i go back and look at the folder i'm like why did i name them that oh yeah this is why um, but yeah dude you got to come check it out man and i'll i'll share some pictures with you get you fired come up down. To come down here
1: all right yeah do the naming the buck naming things a funny topic because so it's like so polarizing a lot of people name their bucks because they like to like build the history and all that and then you got a whole other camp of people that think it's like the most stupid thing ever to like humanize <laughs> these animals and name them like their pets or something like that but i, I fall. i i used to name all the bucks and i name the big one like the the ones i'm after now i typically give a name just because it's easier to reference them yeah. instead of saying you know, the big typical eight point that's more massive than the other eight point and has a little sticker <laughs> on the G2, like it's a lot easier just to say, like, whatever, but, um, yeah, that, that's cool that you're able to, to even build that amount of history and have, I mean, nine shooter bucks, like, I think you were telling me before, like a lot of them are, you know, 140 plus, like in my book, like anything 140 is getting an arrow yeah. at this point in my, my hunting journey. So to have that many bucks of that caliber is pretty unreal. Dude, he, are they, are they, um, how many have shed their antlers? Are they still holding or are they mostly all done?
0: So I have only, uh, in the past three days, I've only seen one buck still holding and it's a small six. I think all of my big bucks have dropped. In fact, um, uh, the one, the biggest, not the biggest, one of the biggest bucks on this specific property, I call him the garbage man, uh, he, He's just got trash everywhere. I mean, he's a mainframe 10. He's got probably an extra three or four points in random spots. And he, he's he been dropped now for almost a month. But wow. I know I know that I could go and find his sheds. They're just on the other side of the road on a different chunk of land. And I don't think they shed hunt it. And I've actually talked to the owner. But other people lease it out for crops and cattle. And they allow one guy to hunt it. And so I'm like they lease the same ground that I hunt for crops and cattle, but I'm the one who gets to hunt it. And I'm like, I don't want to step on toes and have them be like, dude, if you're going to go in there, if you're going to go behind or back to the owner, you're, you're not hunting this, you know? So it's tough, man. I want so badly to walk those woods across the street because I know that's where all of the big bucks hang out this time of year.
1: Yeah. Well, shed hunting is a pretty low commitment, you know, like it's, some as far as asking for permission, like yeah, like especially if they don't shed hunt, it's like, hey, I just I like collecting antlers. You care if I take a, a walk through your woods? Maybe maybe save the the farmer some tractor tires. You know, yeah, driving over an antler out in the field. And I was actually thinking about at least uh, it's not it's like sixty five acres around here, and I don't have any of the egg fields. I I have just the cover which I thought would be unreal it's not as unreal as I expected it to be it's still it's 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 fine but I I plan on kind of asking the neighbors like hey can I just take a stroll through your cut corn fields like I collect antlers I want to see if they're out there and they probably won't care like but they're like very strict like no hunting like we don't like people hunting like we deal with too many trespassers and we're not going to give anybody permission it's like that I don't want to hunt I just want to walk it and pick up any antlers I find. Is that cool? Yeah. So I'll I'll probably do that, but I think that's a great way to, I know you said other people hunt, you know, it's like, it's kind of a delicate situation, but for anyone out there, like trying to get hunting permission, it's a good way to do it. Start with something small, like shed hunting Then maybe in the spring, Oh, you know, I'm trying to kill a Turkey. I've never killed a Turkey before. Like I see this flock out there in your field every year, you know, can I go out there and try to kill one? And, you know, that starts just building that relationship. And then before you know it, you're out there hunting, you know, peak rut in November and you got 150 acres to yourself that the old lady down the road owns. So yeah, I think shed hunting is a good segue into that.
0: Yeah. And when you can do it and when you can build a relationship with one landowner, it makes it that much easier to get permission on the next chunk of land. Because mm-hmm. typically the, the properties that you're looking at hunting, at least around here, Everybody knows everybody in these country communities. 100%. And so it's like when you talk to one guy and he gives you permission and you bring him a case of beer or you help him split firewood or mend a fence or you say, hey, I noticed there's a tree that came down on this chunk of fence. Do you need help? I'll bring the chainsaw, help chunk up the wood, and then we'll mend the fence together or whatever. Like when, when their neighbor hears that you did that you might get a call from them saying, hey, I heard what you did. Like, you're welcome to now come hunt. Or you take it to them and be like, hey, feel free to talk to Jerry next door. He's a super cool guy. He's been letting me hunt his property, and I help around whenever I can. And my cousin does that. He's freaking awesome at doing it, where he just builds actual relationships with people, brings brings him some venison sticks or some venison bacon or summer sausage after he hunts and successfully harvests and it goes a long way man yeah it goes it goes
1: a long ways i got a a good friend in michigan that we we were neighbors for like 2 years and got to be good buddies and his grandma has 240 acres and nobody hunts it except him well he moved out to utah so nobody hunts it anymore and i've maintain a good relationship with his grandma. And, you know, when I go out there, like I'll spend, if it's just a day trip, I'll make sure to sit down for a couple hours and yeah. you know, she's widowed. So she doesn't have a lot of company. So I'll make sure to hang out with her, or, you know, bring her a puzzle or a gift card or whatever. And, you know, and, and she just loves to have someone to cook for. So I come in from hunting and I got a, you know, a three course meal, <laughs> and hot soup and cut up apples and it's just incredible and she sends me home with a, a bag of homemade cookies every time so Dude. but it's i'm it, in mean, it, and not not to like it, there's a you know you're not using these people like it's a genuine yeah. relationship like i i genuinely appreciate her and i don't have any living grandparents so it's kind of nice to have somebody like that yeah and you know her grandson's living in utah so it's you know i can kind of hang out with her and you know maybe give her give her a little bit of what the grandson experience is like um but in exchange like nobody else gets to hunt and i mean my buddy still does when he comes back from utah but otherwise it's just me so it's pretty it's uh it's just a good illustration of what your point is and i haven't gone i've knocked on some of the neighbors doors and i've been unsuccessful expanding from there uh but i also haven't really tried too much i've only
0: asked one or two neighbors yeah All right, guys, I've got to tell you about some of the new XOP products that I've been using this fall and some of them I use in kind of an unconventional way. First off, I use the Mondo saddle, but I also use their Turkey Hunter vest and I take the Cold World stand, put it in the back of the vest and carry it in that way. Depending on how far I have to pack in, I'll just bring a foot platform, but one thing I've learned is that if I put the seat cushion on the underside of the seat and flip it up, it turns it into a knee pad also, or I can flip the seat down and sit on it like a conventional tree stand. I also use their holster kit clipped right onto my saddle to carry in my climbing sticks while keeping my hands free. If you're interested in getting a mobile hunting setup like mine, go to xopoutdoors.com and use code nomadic for 10% off at checkout all right if you're not using tact cams reveal cell cameras on your hunting property for scouting or monitoring the wildlife you are seriously missing out when you pair that with the reveal mobile app you can see the action as it's happening no matter where you are in fact i've got trail cameras up in wisconsin on the land that we hunt, and not only do I get pictures from those cameras sent to me, I can also track the progress of the camera, the battery life, how much memory is left on the SD card, and I can see what the weather's doing at the time that a picture is taken. So I can't think of a better tool for scouting whether it is close to home or in a totally different state. So if you want to stay tuned into the action or just get into the action, go to revealcellcam.com or tacticam dot com and use code nomadic for 10% off at checkout I feel like there's there's so much that we have to offer to people when we go and ask for permission just like you said she gets that grandson experience even though he's moved out of state you're kind of like her interim grandson you know And I, I went one time with my wife, we were just looking for permission to rabbit hunt on, uh, we already had a bunch of property, but there was one chunk that I was like, man, it'd be sweet to go hunt these hay bale rows. And I feel like we could get some rabbits out of it. And I stopped at the guy's house and his wife came out. She invited us in. Then he came in from milking cows and we just sat and talked with them. And I was like, it's so cool. In fact, I would love to have a podcast where it's, like, called the Old Timer Podcast, where all (laughs) you do is hear stories of, like, 70-year-old-plus people and what hunting was like for them. Because hearing them talking about, like, we used to trap otter all the time down the river, and I'm like, what? Are you serious? Or like, oh, yeah, there used to be mink right here. We used to hunt grouse right here. And I'm like, none of those things exist around here anymore. Or like right. we, if I've seen a couple otters now uh, while hunting. But for the most part, it's like things that they used to hunt and they grew up doing and they were like full on kids with 22s. And their mom was like, hey, we don't have any meat. You need to go get some meat. And they would go do it. Like those are amazing stories and some that they may have never told anybody. And so I'm like, I, there's times where I'm like, dude, I just want to spend all spring going around a neighbor's house and saying, tell me, like, tell me your stories in the outdoors. And most of these people had them and it looked a lot different than the type of hunting we do now.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Cause there was no social media back then. There was no YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. So what their experience was, and I I mean, I've heard a lot of these stories and I feel like there's a lot of, there was a lot of rule bending or maybe the the rules weren't quite, (laughs) as closely followed back in the day by by at least some people, but yeah, it's definitely cool. I, my, uh, one of my best friends growing up, like his dad was a hardcore bow hunter and he, he was just, he'd tell us stories about how he'd be just like sitting on a branch in an apple tree and have a doe come eat an apple off the branch that he's sitting on. And, And just like, just little stories like that were cool to hear because a lot of us don't hunt like that anymore. And you know, it, there's, there's a whole different world, you know, that they probably experience compared to what we're experiencing now, especially with the equipment we have and cell cameras and the mobile hunting stuff that's available these days. It's just a completely
0: different experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild, man. When you get down, like when you actually spend time quality time with people and hearing their, I'm sure you've come across some that it's like, but did that actually happen? Like <laughs> I hear stories yeah. about like, uh, I won't say this one because they'll know exactly who it is if they listen to this podcast. But uh, yeah, we just we would spend quality time with people. And one of the guys uh, that we met when we first moved out into the country out there, we had like a phenomenal relationship with my my wife would go and help him clean his house. We'd help him on his orchard. Um, I would go over and till his garden for him when it was coming time to till. And it was so funny because he would he'd be like. Well damn Dan, if I knew you looked that good working I would have had you come over sooner. And I'm like, "Easy man, my <laughs> wife's standing right here." And then like they had that they had live music at the senior center in town and it was like two Thursdays a month and so my wife and I would go there and just dance. And it was like literally we were the youngest by 50 years. Yep. And all the old ladies would come up and they'd grab me. They're like, I'm not asking. You're coming with me. And I would go up there and I'm like, dude, I don't know how you still have hips left. Like my legs hurt. It feels like I've been snowboarding all day, <laughs> like dancing with these people. And all the guys would come grab my wife and dance with her. And it was like building genuine relationships with people. And I can I would continue to do that even if I didn't have permission to hunt his property. You know what I mean? Like yep. It's, it's cool stuff that yeah. a lot of people in early on, it seemed like an inconvenience. Like, oh, do I really want to go sit down and talk right now? I just need a yes or no. Can I hunt your property? And then after a couple going in, sitting down, them offering me a biscuit or coffee or a muffin or whatever, I'm like, dude, I would come just hang out. Like you tell me, Exactly. Like, <laughs> we'll do this once a month. I'll come over on Saturday night and we'll just have dinner together and chat.
1: Yeah. And, and then like stuff like that, you know, whether it leads to permission or not, but when you do get permission to hunt in a place like that, where you have a real relationship, somebody else comes knocking on the door. Nope. Somebody's already hunting here. Nope. Sorry. already got somebody hunting here. And like, I mean, and and these days where leasing and, and stuff like that is so prevalent and people kind of realize how much money they could possibly make by letting somebody hunt their land and having contractual agreement it's it's access is tougher to get so if you get into something like where you have a a good relationship with somebody and it's exclusive just because they like you as a person you like them as a person like that's pretty it's pretty incredible but i think there's a lot more of those opportunities out there than people realize yeah we're just in in the days of you know Mm -hmm. i'd rather text somebody than call them and Mm -hmm. i'm afraid to talk to somebody face to face and when i walk around in public i stare at my feet because i'm afraid to make eye contact with anybody like that that's society right now so i think people yeah. are so afraid to knock on somebody's door and potentially get rejected and like what's the worst that's going to happen like i'm sure if you ask you knock on enough doors you might have a pretty negative encounter eventually but yeah. for the most part even if it's a no it's going to be a polite no and you're not going to get you're not you're not going to get hurt so like just don't be afraid to knock on doors, ask for permission. And I I have friends that they they go on these out of state hunts and they spend the first couple of days door knocking and all of a sudden they have a few thousand acres to hunt <laughs> for the, the rest of the week. And then you got everybody else crammed on a little bit of public land and struggling because they're you know, stepping on each other's toes. So don't don't be afraid to door knock. Uh I think it's a it's a lost art and if you're just like anything like in sales like you can make a lot of money if you're good at sales and all that is is being willing to accept rejection yep. and not getting faced by it and you take that same approach to I mean dating women or you take that <laughs> approach and uh you know knocking on doors for hunting permission like if you if you're a genuinely good person and you're not afraid to take a couple of no's like you're going to you're going to see success eventually
0: yeah it I feel like it is a society right now where they fear rejection. They fear hearing no, and they just don't know how to deal with that. And yeah, Mm -hmm. if you, if you grind, you're going to hear yeses and you're going to figure it out too, how to communicate with people. You know, you show up in camo and they're going to be like, well, are you already planning the hunt right now? You know, like dress, like dress well. I'm not saying you have to have a button up shirt, but like go there. Or if you see a bumper sticker for God forbid, the Dallas Cowboys on their pickup truck, (laughs) like strike up a conversation with them about it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an art form all in itself, trying to get permission on, on private land. Um, where, how many, how many states right now are you hunting? Like this year, how many did you hunt? Um, so last
1: season I hunted, I hunted North Dakota, I hunted Ohio, I hunted Iowa, Michigan and Missouri. Okay. And the, the original three states, North Dakota, Ohio, and Iowa, I punched tags in. And then the other two trips were just like kind of on the fly. I went up to Michigan to my friend's grandma's house for a three day weekend in muzzleloader season. And there I saw probably a 100 deer and not a single two and a half year old buck. So I dang, I'm probably done up there for a while, I think. <laughs> Uh, at least and then two I went out years there. so oh. that
0: they're four and a half years old yeah
1: <laughs> and then i i got talked into going to missouri with a, a group of friends and uh that we went from christmas day to new year's day and one of the guys in the group shot a buck and you know overall we had a lot of good encounters and stuff but i i more or less just went to uh, just to learn and have an opportunity to do something kind of push my my comfort zone because usually by christmas i'm done i'm winding down my deer hunting season or if anything i'm out there just whacking does with a gun putting meat in the freezer i'm not really trying to shoot a buck yeah uh so it was cool to, to kind of experience that but this year i kind of i'm keeping some of those states i'm going to do north dakota because i'm sharing a camp with a group of guys out there that i i really enjoyed last year so i'm going to do that again i'm going to do ohio and pennsylvania i wanted to add a state that's one of the bordering states that i can kind of scout throughout the year and run cameras and have uh just kind of pick away at throughout the year and the, in the event that i do tag out early in ohio which has not been the case the last couple of years and then i'm going to do kansas in the rut and then missouri late season if all the tags are filled which you know yeah you can be as ambitious as you want hunting season <laughs> doesn't always the tags don't always get filled like you anticipate and
0: but that's that's what's on the that's what i'm preparing for whether that all comes to fruition we'll see yeah, dang man. I mean, that's quite the that's quite the list of states that you're hunting though. I think I'm actually. I was talking to one of my buddies from XOP the other day, Tom. He's been on the on the podcast quite a bit, and it sounds like we might be doing an Ohio hunt this year, which I've never hunted Ohio. In fact, I've only been to Ohio a couple times in my life, and so we might be doing a float in hunt again, hit the river and try to find oh, a be spot. Awesome. So. We'll see how that goes, man. let me know if you end up coming. Yeah, I'm very new to public land whitetail hunting. Like, I just, it seems like most of my life I've had permission on private, but I'm starting to fall in love with public land. I mean, like, just, you really do have to figure these animals out. And one thing that I've struggled with is thinking that I know what the animals are doing on private and not actually, relying too much on a trail camera or too much on what they did last year when there are so many factors yep. that could cause them to shift and enter the woods from the Southeast side instead of the Southwest side, you know?
1: Yeah. There's pros and cons to the public and private. And I try to hunt both, like going back to like the original conversation with this whole thing, like I'm, I'm all about progressing and growing and trying to become the most well-rounded bow hunter I can be. And I think both present opportunities to grow in different ways. Like you were just kind of talking like private land, like you can really learn year over year patterns um, you can really get dialed and figure out how they use a specific property. But I do think that sometimes it slows your development because you are relying on just when they're showing up on trail camera or, or historical action that you have, you know, from your experience last year, I'm just going to go sit in this stand and hope something comes by. Yeah. And then on the flip side, you have public land where you, depending on the state, there's obviously states that have more or less access, but you kind of have unlimited room to roam and you can be more on the offensive and go track these bucks down and like figure out exactly where they're betting. And you, you might be able to essentially like, be hunting their, that buck's entire range versus just a one little spot that they spend part of their day. You can hunt their entire range. So you can figure out where they're bedding, where they're feeding and everything in between. And I think you can really kind of hone your, your woodsmanship skills that way. And, um, so I'm excited this year. I'm in Ohio. I've, in the last few years, I've only hunted private land for the most part. I've scouted a little bit on public, but I've only really hunted on private. I've only been here for two and a half seasons now. Yeah. This year I'm making a huge emphasis probably 50% of my time hunting or at least right now I'm scouting public land and really trying to get dialed in because the other thing with private land is if you're after a certain caliber of buck and you only got one property to hunt and that buck does not exist where you're hunting like what do you do you just sit out or you go hunt just to hunt and hope like yeah. I don't I don't like just hoping and praying so I'm trying to be more aggressive scouting on the on the public land and really honing things there so I you know, I can just go send full send at every, you know, every hunt I can just go going for the kill. Yeah. And if you bump that buck, it doesn't really matter. You go, you move on to the next spot. And ideally I'd have enough of those spots lined up that one season rolls around. Like I can just be super aggressive and rotate around these different spots until I, you know, catch one of them. But yeah, I think there's definitely benefits to, to going both routes.
0: Yeah. I, I do like the aggressive approach. Um, because on private land, I've never really been aggressive with it. I try to figure out where they are. I ease into that area. I try to get in the right spot, but that opened my eyes on this last, last year's hunt on the Island. It's like, if I mess this up, it affects nobody. I don't know anybody that hunts here. I don't plan on like, if it's a bad hunt and I'm not encountering, having any big buck encounters, like why would I come back here? And so actually like pushing and being like, dude, I heard them fighting over here. I'm on a different hard hard ground island. I need to cross this marsh, go sit over there. And then, hey, I don't think I was quite close enough. I'm going to move farther. And then seeing the deer come from the other way. And it's like, now I'm going to go that way. Because if I was over there three minutes ago, it would have been legal light and I could have shot him. And then like just bouncing around like that where I would never, I would never do that on a private chunk of ground that I've got because I'm like, they're yeah. just going to bump over to the neighbors. Or,
1: or like exactly what you just said, you know, they came out three minutes after legal shooting light, but I'm, I'm right on the field edge and the neighbor has all the cover. So like, yeah. I, I can't move in any further. Well, when you're on public and you can push it a little bit. So yeah, I, I, uh, I'm excited for you to keep diving into the public game. Cause I think that's what's helped me develop and grow the the most in a short, you know, like a condensed time frame. And I think the years that I've hunted, primarily private land, All, whether I, a lot of times I'll see success, but I think my overall growth as a bow hunter is reduced just because I'm hunting places I'm familiar with. And I'm not, I'm not as hungry to like consume and, and scout and
0: really do the figuring out side of things too. Yeah. You, you mentioned, uh, you punched three tags this year. What States were those in again? uh, North Dakota, Ohio, and Iowa. Okay. So I know that we're at like an hour of recording already, but I got to hear out of those three, like, what was your most memorable hunt from this year? Man, that's tough. Um,
1: I would say my least memorable, which is not what you asked me. <laughs> no, that's but all right. My, but, but, but my least memorable is, um, the biggest of the three, which was here in my home state of Ohio, it was just the gun opener. And I mean, I had some things figured out, but, and more, more or less, I had just put myself in the right place at the right time and kind of got lucky holding a rifle and shot this buck at 15 yards. Um, But the other two North Dakota, I was out there. I killed on my 14th day out there. And for most of the time, I was out there with a group of guys for the first four or five days, but the rest of the time I was all alone. And that's probably the one that I'm most, it's tough between that and Iowa, but North Dakota, I killed on day 14. And for 10 of those days, I was out there by myself. And, you know, when you're hunting solo, like you're, you're out there with all your demons and your mind is playing, you know, it's trying to talk you into going home and wondering what you're even doing out there. But the thing that aside from how long that I put myself out there and and just the fact that I persevered is I had six encounters with the buck that I ended up killing. So I, I literally Damn. saw this buck six different times and I, it was before we were recording, but you're talking about that Island and how you think that you could have, uh, you bumped that buck and you ran right back into that Island because that's where he's safe. I think it was kind of a similar situation where like where he was betting, that was like the place to be. So even though I bumped him, like the next time he was coming out of the same, like every time that I saw him, he came out of the, aside from one time, he came out of the same bedding area Jeez. and that like, you, you don't really get that many opportunities at like a, the chess game with a, with a good whitetail to like put the puzzle pieces together and have that many cracks at him, let alone in a two week period. Um, So that, that was pretty cool. It just it left me with a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth. I, I hit the buck a little back, was kind of unsure about the hit. Um, there was, like, blood on the arrow, but also some, like, what I assumed was stomach content. So I just played it safe. It was getting really cold at night, and I left them overnight. And when I got to them in the morning, I'll send you a picture after this, but, like, the coyotes. Like, it looked like a carcass had been laying out there for two weeks. There was not a piece of, single piece. Of, it was just, like, a rib cage and oh a spine that had attached to it. So, like, I couldn't even, not to say, like, this is why I do it. But like, I couldn't even take a picture with the buck to like store that memory in my mind. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a bummer. And like, I filmed all, you know, I filmed it all obviously, but like I, I found the buck and it, it, he didn't run far after like I shot him and he ran in out of the field that he was in when I shot him into the woods. And I didn't know, I couldn't see how far he went, but he, he died basically right on the edge and coyotes dragged him out to the edge of the field. But, um, I don't know that one just between all the different encounters and how long that I was out there. And I mean, I was, I was pretty proud of myself for just not giving up and getting it done. Yeah. Um, But then Iowa was kind of the same story I killed on day 10 and just one of those hunts where it wasn't like the other one where I had all these encounters. It just, it was a hunt that I kind of struggled with, like building any sort of momentum or getting any type of like pattern down that if I just, you know, in the rut, like if you put yourself in the right place, with the, you know, long enough, eventually you're going to get a crack at one. Like I just, I never figured out that place. So um, I was pretty pumped on that one too. On, on day 10 I killed. So that one, I, I mean, I, I sat there and just soaked in like I shot him in the morning and I just sat against the tree. And usually on these trips, I'm so eager to get back to camp and, you know, gut the deer and drag them out and get them back to camp and load up and go home because usually I'm far from home. Like I just, I took like, I don't know, probably a half hour just to sit there in the woods against the tree on the ground, like looking at the buck and just kind of soaking in the moment and, you know, all the adversity that, that i had overcome. And I mean, he, he's not a giant buck. He's like 115 inches, which is not what I planned on shooting. Like when I drew Iowa, but it was going to be my last day regardless. And I was just like, so tickled that everything worked out. So those, yeah. those two are probably, they're probably tied for most meaningful, uh, but just kind of goes to show, like, it's not necessarily like just the size of the buck that, that makes the trip or makes the story or makes the memory. Like it's everything else that goes into it.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I like what you said about just sitting for like 30 minutes. I, I for years fell into this trap of like, I shoot a deer. I don't take any time to myself. I get my phone out. I'm calling my buddy, dude, I got him. I got this one. This is the buck that I shot or like, Hey, I got an elk down. But like some of my favorite memories when my phone stays in my pocket for 30, 40, 50 minutes afterwards, we're like, there's been times in Wisconsin and I hunt 40 acres and there's days where we've got 10 of us out on this 40 acres and the terrain is, is such that like, you don't actually see the same deer as the other people, you know, like they're wow. coming through these bottoms, they're coming up over a ridgeline. Somebody's up here. Someone's all the way down at the bottom and Uh, I remember it was like midweek and I think almost everybody was gone at that point. I may have been the only one hunting that morning for whatever reason. And I shot this buck and I just sat there. I like sat in my, in my chair and I was like, Holy cow. Like this is a chunk of woods that I grew. This is where I learned to hunt. This is where I spent my first seasons hunting. And then I shoot the biggest buck I've ever shot out there Um, And I just sat there, man, and it was wild. And then I walked down to the deer, get it. I drag it down to the bottom where I was able to pull the four-wheeler. And I just sat and looked at him. And then that kind of got cut short because I went up. I went up to my chair um, after I walked down, leaned my rifle against the tree, was looking at this buck, got a couple pictures, went and just sat in my chair for like five seconds. And I look over And there's a doe at 40 yards. And I'm like, (laughs) crap, like my rifle's down the hill. I ended up walking down the hill, grabbing my rifle, walking back up to the spot, still seeing her. At that point, she had made it to like 70 yards. But she was in the woods, and I was smart about how I was moving. And I ended up shooting her too. But I'm like, I look back, and I'm like, that hunt was insane, like the amount of action. But also, just that time to really appreciate the full story coming together was probably one of my most memorable
1: Yeah. That's awesome. That's a, there's a a good lesson in there. I mean, you, you spend so much time and money and effort, literal blood, sweat and tears to put yourself in position to have a successful hunt. And when those moments are so fleeting afterwards, like you really got to pause and soak it all in because you don't get very many of those opportunities over the entire course of your life.
0: No, no, it's definitely worth just taking a second. Like even if it's an extra two minutes to sit, and and really contemplate like dude this is why i'm out here like i had success and even if you didn't if you just see a cool animal or have a cool encounter to just sit and kind of dwell on that for a little while um well dude i don't want to take up i want to be respectful of your time i know we're over an hour already but before we hop off where can people find you where can they follow along on social and on youtube
1: Yep. Uh, on all social media platforms, uh, it's next step outdoors. Um, that's my YouTube name and Instagram at next step outdoors. Um, but I, I mean, I, in, in all my YouTube, in the descriptions of my YouTube videos, like I even put my, my email in there. like, I love talking to people about hunting and I love seeing trophy pictures and, and, you know, helping people figure out their properties. Like I had people like email me and send satellite images of their property and ask, you know, where would you start scouting this? Or where would you hunt? Um I just I like connecting with people so you know feel free to check me out and if you feel compelled you know shoot me an email or whatever DM me on on social media um but yeah man it's been a blast I appreciate you having me and uh you know I might take you up on that I might actually take you up on on the opportunity to come out to Missouri because I think that'd be a lot of fun
0: do it man I I'd love to have you down here and uh I've got your number I'm going to start sending you some I'll I'll send you the best pick of each of those nine bucks to get you fired up all right deal and uh yeah i'll let you know also if i come up to ohio so we'll have to we'll have to connect a couple times this year yeah please do well sweet man thanks again and uh we'll chat soon absolutely man